1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number one twenty-eight, recorded June fifteenth, twenty thirteen. So we get to do
0: Next Generation issues sixty-seven through sixty-nine. Let's see, the next installment of our ninety series, which is getting up there now.
1: Right, and again, as we've seen before, sometimes this particular stream, uh, we have multiple stories going on. They're kind of. Interweaving some end, some begin, some continue on, new ones begin. So we got multiple things going on at the same time, and uh, yeah,
0: yeah. This, this one I thought was actually kind of interesting because they don't really tie into each other, and in fact, some storylines are actually ending while the other ones are going on, and it's right. it's more like a soap opera where ah. it, it, it's there's a whole <laughs> yeah. bunch of little stories interweaved and. And kind of being told in, in different, you know, in different orders, uh, which oh, right. I, which I actually dig. I kind of like the uh, kind of like this is real life. You know, one guy's going to be over here doing something while this other person's going to be over here doing something else. Sure. And their their stories may not end at the same time, and, and a big conclusion an issue or whatever. So uh, oh, right. I, in that regards, I like I like these uh, this new storytelling method.
1: Well, I think we've read some comics that have done this before. And it might have even been Michael Jan Friedman, but this isn't the common way. But I think we've hit him before doing it this way.
0: The only other time I can think of is that time when Data and the judge was on that other planet. They, mm-hmm. Their shuttle got yep. hit. And they had right. they were on trial, right? right. While regarding them them were still on other adventures, right? But I mean, that was like one or two issues. This one is at least four
1: issues it's not longer. Right. And three stories so right. far. So far. I
0: mean they introduced a brand new story in the last issue, so I was like, "Oh, yep. wow. This is interesting."
1: All right. Right. But yeah, and 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 how good the three individual stories are is varying. So we'll see who likes which ones. Yeah, I'm curious to see what you think on some of them. Yes. So, could I uh, start with the first one? Yeah, please do. Donnie. Very good. We are going to start out with Friends and Other Strangers. That is issue number 67. Published date January 1995. Writer is Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler is Daryl Skelton. Color Jean D'Angelo. Letterer Bob Panaha. Editor Margaret Clark. The cover shows young Riker in a first season pajama uniform pointing a phaser Type 1 at a threat while on a planet's surface two gold-uniform crewmen are behind him, with the alien mail pointing where Riker is getting ready to fire. The top of a stone pyramid is sticking out of the dense forest behind them. The issue opens in Picard's ready room. Riker enters, and Picard and he discuss Riker's obligations to return to Altair III. Apparently, they were made some time ago, and with Starfleet's blessing. Riker comments on how, back then, when he made the promise to return, it seemed like this day was so far off in the future, yet here it is. Picard recommends Riker make arrangements for transport. In a conversation between Deanna and Barclay, we find out that Riker will go to Starbase 28 to meet old friends before continuing on to his ultimate destination. Meanwhile, on a Starbase, Roe Larin and Lieutenant Coltrane whose blue uniform changes to gold on the top of page 3, depart the station in a small Enterprise-D shuttlecraft. Their departure is monitored by Adak Relsrik and a fellow Tissati named Corthon. They comment on the opportunity the lonely little shuttlecraft presents to them. They apparently want payback for the Enterprise recently seizing one of their ships for piracy. They intend to take their retribution out on the Federation shuttle. Meanwhile, on Starbase 28, Riker joins his old friends, who are all from Starfleet, but are all dressed in civilian clothes. We meet a human engineer named Consuela, a very large alien named Orzan, who is a Damaran, Damarahan. Though he towers over Riker and the others, Orzan states he is small as... Dama Rahans go. Two more male humans are present. One is from the USS Cochrane and the other from the Tripoli. They start talking about the old days on Altar. Wild times back then due to the full-blown civil war that was going on at the time. They comment on how good it was that Riker petitioned strongly with Captain DeSoto to not go down to the surface if he had not succeeded in doing that they could not have kept their promise to the altarians after all this time they all produce one sphere each that they call a memory ball they apparently are storage devices that keep parts of the ancient altarian scriptures if one were missing it would render the priceless scriptures incomplete they remember when the hood was dispatched to altar 3 though a member of the federation the hood and her crew were forbidden from interfering in the civil conflict captain de was asked to dispatch an away team to an ancient monastery that turned out to be under siege already by the rebels fearing for the safety of their cultures most treasured relic they entrusted their holy scriptures encrypted on five spheres separately to the five away team members they swore they would return after the war ended but it turned out to last far longer than anyone expected nine years later here they are they toast to Captain DeSoto who died with the hood at Wolf 359 meanwhile in the shuttle Roe and Lieutenant Coltrane are overtaken by the Tessati ship and fired upon unable to outrun them and with shields failing they are able to drop out of warp and seek refuge in a nearby star system they identify the only class M planet in the system and head for it the battle damage they took in the attack leads to system failures during re-entry they are able to initiate entry into the planets atmosphere but not before they lose all power to the ship sometime after the crash Roe finally wakes up and finds Coltrane dead and the ship a useless hunk of junk she leaves to find help but collapses a robed figure finds her and carries her away. Meanwhile, Riker and his friends are on Altair three, making their way across precarious mountain passes on foot. The monks wanted them to carry the spheres on foot to the monastery. No weapons either. they try to cross over tricky old uh, they try to cross over a rickety old bridge, being the heaviest, Orzan lets the others proceed ahead of him. When they are almost across, Orzon falls through a wheat bridge crossboard and hangs on for dear life. They all hesitate going back for him, because they know going back for Orzon might result in their deaths also. Riker says he is willing to take that chance, and moves towards Orzon. The others, realizing Riker can't pull Arzon up alone, follow him. To be continued. So, uh, what do you think? So far, so good. These are... Uh, this is a good issue,
0: I think. Yeah. Kind got of a couple... Setting up interesting some conflict.
1: Things. Well, yeah. Setting up conflict and executing on the conflict. I mean, uh, with Ro getting attacked like that. Right. Uh, of course, we'll see what happens in this little Riker adventure.
0: Now, I've never heard of this uh, group of folks that were attacking her. Right. The,
1: the or whatever.
0: sati or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and they're not necessarily mad at the Enterprise, right? They're just mad at a Federation ship that captured one of their other ships or something like that?
1: I thought it was the Enterprise. However, I will readily admit that it could have been a generic thing.
0: Yeah, I thought they you said know, some Federation. Other Federation. And, and then they'll just take it out on this poor little shuttle. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh,
1: main point is, Federation took one of their ships and accuse them of piracy, which odds are with these guys, if they're going to be so ready to attack an unarmed shuttle, yeah, uh, I could see these guys being pirates. Maybe they oh. are pirates? I think it's very possible. <laughs> the kind of people that would go for random vengeance might be the kind of guys that would be involved in piracy. Some shenanigans. Some
0: high-sea shenanigans. the Caribbean. Right. Get it? <laughs> Anyways... So, what do you think about their overall look? What do you think they, these guys look like?
1: I thought it was extremely comic bookish. Right. I mean, it, this would not have flown. I don't think in uh, you know, in, in in a TV episode.
0: Right. I mean, they're kind of big. Like like Morn was big. You know, he had that mm-hmm. extra padding or whatever. But it's their right. their helmets and their faces mm-hmm. look like. You know, something from that Jack Kirby, uh, who was a, a big time oh, right. artist, would have done. Right. So, like, it looks a little bit like Darkseid or Thanos or
1: right know. Galacticus or whatever. Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, that's what I was. I, 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 was
1: I was, thinking of a Marvel like, uh, like, villain from the sixties or seventies or whatever. Yeah, so very cop- comic bookish looking. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah, and their actions
1: it. and their actions are kind of comic bookish too. Like it's just random. They're just the random ba- bad guys of the week here to give Roa uh, some trouble. Right.
0: But I liked their ship. That I mean, it, it looks like a small ship, like a fighter craft of some sort, but it, it's basically yeah, like yeah. a... kind of like a runabout or... A, exactly. A ...shuttle with a big extra nacelle on the top with a spike on it. Right. <laughs> it looks... Which... looks like it's like flying around with a giant syringe. Ah.
1: <laughs> and I'm not sure whether that's in a cell or that's some kind of weapon. I'm right. not sure, but I my what I thought of it is it looked like a runabout that had a whole bunch of plastic parts glued onto it to make it not look quite so much like a runabout. Yeah, it's like a it's like somebody took uh, parts from a, a model kit and and just kind of started pasting them on.
0: But I kind of liked it. I liked the. Uh... Yeah the syringe-looking nacelle thing on the top. I thought it, it actually made it look kind of menacing. Like, like is that, is that some sort of giant laser? Or? Yes,
1: it's a laser. So, I, I kind of liked it. And speaking of nacelles, they appear to have two outboard nacelles, like a Federation ship. Mm-hmm. They appear to have two engines stuck in the back of it, and then they've got this mystery nacelle-looking thing coming out of the top, the syringe one you mentioned. So, if, that, if, if they got five engines on that sucker, they.
0: It is fast.
1: Well, it's faster. They got some bad engine technology. No, mm-hmm. no. One or the other.
0: Well, what's funny is that the outboard nacelles, as you were calling them, look like old, you know, Taz era yeah. round nacelles to me.
1: Well, they're not round, though. I mean, they're, they're flat. Actually, it reminds me a lot of Enterprise A.
0: Okay, but, I'm looking at a the side cells. picture and they look they look completely round, but
1: you're okay. saying there's well,
0: a, like a front shot that
1: Oh, the first time we see it on page 6, bottom of page 6. Let me go back there. Yeah, so actually it looks
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. On that one so, it does. They do
1: yeah. look flat. So the pylon sweeps back and and and, and the the thickness of it varies. As you go over the length of the pylon that that connects to the engine, and then the engine itself is kind of flat. Uh, it just re- that, that's a lot like the Enterprise A engines or, right. or the refit, whatever.
0: Yeah. Even the arms that hold the nacelles to the to the ship. the exactly. like Arms from the Enterprise A. Yeah. No, exactly. You're totally that's right. my point. Totally
1: right. right. And and really, it looks one way in this cell, and then when you see other pages and you see it from a side shot, I agree with you. It looks rather different. It doesn't look as much like a runabout. And, uh, and yeah, I suppose the engines may look uh, roundish.
0: But, anyways, I liked it. I thought it was an interesting design. Yeah.
1: Yes, it is. Um, another thing for drawing that I kind of liked, uh, in the upper left panel of page 23, where Riker is first reacting to Orzon falling through the bridge, right. I, I kind of liked it. It, it screams!
0: It,
1: yeah, it's almost <laughs> like uh, like Speed Racer or some uh, Japanese uh, uh, anime thing or something or a TV show. He he looks like he's really over the top in reacting to it, but I like it. Mm. I, I it that's that, that gets across the point the distress Riker's feeling. I think quite well. I liked it.
0: Yeah, it was good. I I, I thought the artwork in this overall was okay.
1: Um, it, it, yeah, I, to be perfectly honest I'm not crazy and, and I've said this before about Skeleton's work um, I, I, I'm not crazy how I don't know airbrushed some of his stuff looks especially people's faces and stuff I mean some are fine but then other ones seem I don't know kind of kind of airbrushed kind of yeah not as crazy about it right okay but uh, but you know uh Okay, good, de- decent. Definitely the ships look all good. Right. Um uh, in the crash, the two-page spread where the Onazuka shuttle is crashing mm-hmm. and yep. the and the blue and yellow and red birds, and that that is interesting how they chose red and actually gold and blue for the bird colors, but I yeah, you say you loved it? Me too. I thought that was a, a very cool uh, two-page spread. Of it crashing.
0: Right. Yeah, I liked it a lot.
1: Yeah. And, and and I did mention how at least the birds on the top of the page are red, gold, and blue. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe the different uh, <laughs> uh, so colors of uniforms. The birds have rank? Uh, maybe, or different roles <laughs> on the planet, so therefore. But then on the bottom... Uh, the birds are different colors. Like uh, there, there's like a robin kind of thing lower right, but he's got teeth. He's got like piranha right. teeth. I thought that was kind of cool.
0: Yeah. and Then there's like some scissor-tailed ones that are like purple.
1: purple right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the really long, two uh, like tail, feathery kind of things coming out the back. Right. right. Yeah. Those are interesting. And then the one almost looks like a turkey hawk or something. Anyway. Ooh, a turkey spread. hawk. Turkey Hawk as opposed to a Chicken Hawk because it looks a little too big to be a Chicken Hawk so what do you think about
0: uh, Coltrane
1: oh <laughs> well I didn't pick up his name until like, like the next issue quite frankly uh, oh really uh, and I had to go back and put it back into my synopsis but uh, Coltrane he's a talker he's the kind of person that I would be annoyed with
0: Hot. Oh man, I can't believe he was saying some of that stuff to row on the trip. Right. <laughs> you know, you're kind of hot, and and they kind of wanted to do something, something with you.
1: And I'm like, really, that's
0: kind of inappropriate.
1: Yeah, the ambassador. Right. Yeah, I left a lot of that stuff out. But so, yeah. so were they trying to remind us that that Ro's a, a decent looking chick? I mean, what? I guess so.
0: Hmm. He was reminding her.
1: Well, yes, and in and in doing so, maybe reminding us as if we needed to be told. I don't know.
0: Well, we might find out next issue, because she uh, turns on the feminine charm.
1: Or at least (laughs) tries
0: to have it turned on.
1: Right, right. So.
0: Yeah, it was all, I I really thought Coltrane was annoying and talking about stuff he shouldn't have been talking about. Especially after she already says... This is making me uncomfortable. Let's quit talking about it.
1: <laughs> it's almost like a uh, a sexual harassment thing that we're almost, witnessing.
0: Almost, yeah.
1: Yeah. Sexual harassment in Starfleet. So
0: he deserved to die. Yeah. Just kidding.
1: Did you like how he changed assignments when we first see him between panels?
0: You know, I didn't notice it when you, until you put that in your synopsis. Uh,
1: where was the... Where very, was he blue? You know, when you first—the first time you see him. So the first panel.
0: First time I see him is on. Oh, okay, on, on the page top three
1: of pa- Yeah, I page three. Yeah, the top of page three.
0: Right,
1: so right. so row is is shaking hands with the ambassador who has these funny projectiles coming out of his face, and uh, and to the left, that's where you yep. first see Coltrane.
0: Yep, he's standing there in a blue tunic, and then
1: one panel later, he's bowing, Bing! He's now wearing a gold. gold. Yes, now he's command. There you go. So what do you yeah. think of the ambassador's... Well, he actually, um, that's not
0: command. That's uh,
1: services. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm mixing up Taz. You sure are. So sorry. what do I
0: think of the ambassador? Yes. Uh, he,
1: he's pale white. He,
0: yes, if he was yellow, he would look like the sun. With yeah. all its glorious <laughs> rays coming off of his face.
1: Yeah, he looks like he's got... Um, well, we should just move on. They're not a
0: tumor. <laughs> yeah, it, it looks like fingers or something coming off of his face.
1: Yeah, fingers, that's it. Okay, yeah. Okay, so he's an interesting design. I just thought I'd point out.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Yes. So, since we're on this page, what do you think about the ten forward scene between Troy and Barclay
1: useless I mean right. the, the only thing it the only thing it was useful for is to to give us a little bit more information about Riker's trip right but other than that absolutely absolutely useless
0: but what was weird is that a, a black gentleman comes and delivers their drinks, and yes. Troy talks to him like she knows him, which yeah. I've never seen this guy before right and it kind of me and i and i was reading it going is that supposed to be gina and the artist drew a dude instead of a woman I, it just seemed weird i mean why why introduce a new character and not have gina or yeah. somebody that we've actually seen before
1: right i don't know
0: it just seemed weird
1: and then the only reason he's interacting with them is to give a little bit of hearsay that he's heard about Uh, about what riker's doing and Uh it's like wow okay great
0: i I thought he was really this there to fill in that last two panels of the page
1: (laughs) (laughs) you'll notice i didn't even mention it right it was useless Wow.
0: so you like the the depictions of federation ships what did you think of the one shot of the hood
1: um. Let me go back to that.
0: It's on page
1: 10. Yeah, as they were reminiscing.
0: Right. And the back of the nacelles seem to have this weird, like, point thing. Like like the old Enterprise, like Pike's Enterprise oh, had those little yeah. points that came out of the top yeah, of the front of the nacelles. I, I this think one you, seems to have the same thing coming out of the back.
1: Yeah, I think you might be misinterpreting slightly.
0: What is that, then?
1: It's the... Because I, I actually have... The Excelsior, Mm -hmm. which I assume it's an Excelsior class ship. Right. And I'm looking at the back engines. And if you look at the right nacelle in that panel, you'll see that there's kind of a uh, horizontal part that comes out to the right. Okay. And I think that's the same thing on the left nacelle, although. It kind of looks like it's pointing backwards. It's not. It's pointing out sideways.
0: All right, I'm grabbing my Enterprise B uh, model. And let me see what you're talking about. Oh, okay. So I didn't notice that it had fins on it.
1: Yeah, it's in the, the back of the cell.
0: Yeah, I see it now. Yeah. So you think it's just the, the depiction of the fins kind of makes it look like it's pointing out instead of pointing back instead of out?
1: Right. Okay. And by the way, um, I'm I'm I, I am looking at my actually it was my mistake. I am actually looking at the Enterprise B, not the Excelsior. Oh, okay. My my mistake. But definitely the engines are a little different between it and what they've got depicted here. Hmm. So this was probably just an early. Well, I don't know. It, th- there are slight differences, but in both cases they've got that little like finny thing coming out the side.
0: Right. Yeah, I guess I never really noticed it before. Yeah. Fins on the
1: Enterprise don't need them. <laughs> I don't see why you'd would. <laughs> you're, you're, now maybe it's some kind of a heat dissipation device. I I don't know, but you certainly wouldn't need it for uh, stabilization in space. Right. I'll be
0: honest. I'd never cared for the Excelsior-class Excelsior. ships. Um, the
1: engineering ever since?
0: section's way too wide and broad, and just didn't do it for me
1: yeah well they wanted to make it look like an aircraft carrier a little bit they wanted to make you think a little Ooh, flat top I think and no I I never no I I never really was that crazy about the design but um, supposedly it was Leonard Nimoy that had a big role in uh, in choosing this design over other designs
0: oh really yes well he was the director of Star Trek 3 so I guess that
1: makes sense Exactly. So that's why he had some input. There was a much more advanced-looking ship that they possibly had on the drawing board, but they decided to go with something a little bit more evolutionary from the Enterprise.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I always heard that they were trying to design what the Enterprise would look like if it was designed by the Japanese versus huh? <laughs> an American design. Like a Japanese car versus an American car. I, thought, really? I always heard that was, that was what they were going for
1: well that's interesting so what 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 makes it more Asian or Japanese like in design I don't
0: know I don't know I just remember as a kid that's what I read somewhere oh okay (laughs) okay alright that's my last uh, comment on this issue
1: that's my last comment too
0: except for the rickety bridge reminded me of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom
1: it reminded me of Generations
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah, yes. But it was there
1: too. But I do agree with you, because especially with what happens in this next issue.
0: Well, where Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones stands in the middle and chops it in half.
1: Yeah. Does that happen? Because mm, I missed. It. Kind of. Now, he doesn't chop it, but well, you have to read the. You have to do the book. You have to do the All synopsis. Right. I'll go ahead and start it in. All right.
0: So, issue number 68 came out February of 1995. Uh, it is all done by the exact same people, so we won't go through that. And it's entitled The Bajoran and the Beast. So, you got to remember, this was 1995. Uh, this, so, the book was actually made in ninety-four, And there was a big movie that came out the year before called Beauty and the Beast by Disney. So This was all fresh on people's minds at the time So the uh, cover Kind of uh, Emphasizes the uh, Beauty and the Beast references By also having Bajoran and the Beast on the cover And it actually Depicts Ensign Rowe Wearing a flowing Victorian type dress Kind of like what Belle wore in The ball scenes In the movie Uh, The only clue that this is not a cover from like a Jane Austen novel is the ridges on Rose's nose and that she's holding a phaser in her hand. Behind her stands a man in a dark blue cloak. His face is completely covered and only his piercing yellow eyes can be seen glowing from within. So the story starts with Riker and his former Hood crew attempting to pull orzon from the broken bridge the hulking orzon is holding on to a broken plank but how long can he hold on Riker and his team is eventually able to get him up and off the bridge just as it snaps and falls away into the abyss below a narrow miss to be certain meanwhile roe wakes in a lavishly decorated bedroom she remembers the shuttlecraft and the loss of train. She does not know how she got here into this castle, though. Unexpectedly, she decides to change out of her soiled uniform into the beautiful gown that we saw on the cover. Ro leaves the room and descends the stairs. She, des- <clears throat> she finds her mysterious host at a large dinner table. He is hooded, and she can see nothing of his features. His butler is wearing normal clothes and can easily see his face. He is an orange-screened male, bald, with some green sunglasses on. Her host seems to have gray hands, so perhaps he looks a little different than his butler. She just does not know, and it's killing her not to know. Her host offers her an assortment of fruit. She decides to eat with him. And then some time passes, and after some small talk that consists of the history of the Bajoran occupation, her host excuses himself to work in his garden. After Roe finishes her food, she joins her host in uh, in the garden. There, he tells her of the Earth story, Beauty and the Beast. She seems to be enjoying being stranded on this strange planet with him. Meanwhile, back on Altier 3, Riker and his former crew are sitting around a campfire. They talk about the mysterious globes that each of them were given so many years ago. The remembrance of those times gets heated when two men start to fight over a woman that they both seem to have the hots for. The argument gets physical, but Riker jumps in and breaks it up. He recommends that they all get some rest and sleep off their aggressions. Back in the castle, Roe wakes in the middle of the night. She walks into the library and finds her hooded host sleeping in a chair. She thinks that she could just unmask him now. And just as she's about to pull back the cloak, she decides to respect the man's privacy and she leaves. As she leaves, the host can be seen smiling under his hood. As she is returning to her room... She sees a large group of Tissati warriors attacking the castle door. They are demanding the release of the Starfleet personnel from the crash ship. The butler arrives and gets her to hide in a room filled with weapons. Roe is taken aback by the sight of all the rifles and phasers. In the front of the castle, her host is trying to talk them into leaving. They then start to beat him. Roe uses one of the rifles she found and attacks them. In the firefight that ensues, her host takes a shot at point-blank range from a T'sati. Distraught, Roe drops her weapon and runs to her friend. As the Tessati are about to finish her off, Phaser Blasts streak out of the darkness and strike the Tessati. Data and Worf appear. They have been saved. Roe speaks to her dying host. He turns out to be a Cardassian. He tells her that he once oversaw a labor camp on Bajor, and he regrets that he was not able to save any of them. She seems to forgive him, and says that she suspected he was Cardassian due to the types of guns in the closet. As he dies, she tells Data that he was her friend. Back on Altair 3, Riker and his friends are awoken by a scream. They quickly look around, and they find Randy... One of the two men that was fighting earlier Lying at the bottom of the pit Dead To be continued
1: Wow, I don't know whether to cry Or to be excited About a murder investigation It's all happening too fast, Donovan Oh, well
0: you need to tap the brakes a little bit
1: A little bit (laughs) Yeah I thought the Beauty and Beast story was nice It was nice and then it was a little bit of a surprise when it turned out to be a Cardassian, because I did not recognize the weapons exactly uh, no, as Cardassian. I, I, I thought, are those Bajoran weapons? Because I did remember – it looked like something out of Deep Space Nine, but I didn't remember exactly. Right. And it was like, well, how would he have Bajoran weapons? Is he Bajoran? And it it, it didn't occur to me that he could be Cardassian.
0: Right. Uh, of course, once you know and you look at the old pictures, he has the gray hands
1: and stuff like that, and
0: you're like, oh, okay. Right. I totally get
1: it now. Makes sense. Makes sense. Right. And then when they said it was a Kardashian rifle, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. I get, yeah. I guess I recognize it.
0: Right. I like that story. I liked that, you know, he was he was doing what he could for a, a Bajoran that he felt like he Hold. betrayed them all those years ago. Not really betrayed, but he was part of yep. their suffering.
1: Something that he felt remorse over. Mm-hmm. Which is odd. I mean, how many... Cardassians Ca- are so typically painted as uh, mostly one-dimensional bad guys. Right.
0: But th- there you are being, you know, stereotypical again.
1: M- me? That's yeah. the way they're presented. Just normally. the
0: ones we see on Deep Space Nine.
1: You should, I'm well, sure there's what are the ones some... we're going to see? <laughs> well, okay, so th- in this book.
0: Right. You know, just like you've, you've always heard of the, you know, the... The Nazis and stuff That they weren't all Wanting to kill What they did They just Were following orders Or or they would have Died themselves So
1: Well the Nazis Or the German soldiers The German soldiers Yeah right And there were probably Some dissenting There might have been Some dissenting Nazis In there too But Right I don't know But that's yeah you, You can't paint All Germans With one brush stroke Right In that case Definitely true Definitely true or think that Klingons can't also like flowers, or <laughs> could be engineers.
0: Or that or that a uh, Vulcan woman can't have an extra few pounds on her.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: We talked about that last week. Exactly. Yep. So, uh, do you understand why everybody is so aggressive there at the campsite? It seemed that... I kept wondering... Are these balls, like, affecting their their moods, or what, what's going on here?
1: Yeah. I was kind of thinking the same thing, especially given the cover shot. I mean, the cover shot shows a very burly Riker. The cover of this one or the cover of one? Oh, next? it's the cover of the next one. I was going <laughs> to cover of the next one. Sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But I knew what the cover of the third book was, and it's basically Riker um, standing over one of the other uh, guys one of the other people uh, on the mission right. and and you know he looks like he's gonna gonna kill him or something and he's got one of the balls in his hand and so given that and then what was happening here I was thinking the same thing are these balls exerting some kind of influence
0: right cause here these guys are they've been friends forever and then now you know I had the hots for her you stole her away from me and stuff like
1: that it just seemed kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, and it seemed kind of extreme. I mean, just jumping across the the, the campfire and attacking <laughs> and the guy—it's like wailing on him. That's a little—that's a little extreme. I mean, anyway.
0: Right. Yep. So I was really thinking that these balls might have factor into something heavier coming. Well,
1: out. well, maybe we'll find out in the next thrill Pack issue. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, I, I thought the, the timing of exactly when Date and Worf show up Convenient? Extremely convenient mm-hmm. uh, But, you know, whatever, that's fine That's fine, it's all a story Yes
0: So, uh, very convenient And I wonder how they knew Did they just know that the shuttlecraft crashed there And did a little search For Bajora type signs and found her
1: That's exactly what must have happened they, she... followed the, they followed the Ion trail after she was overdue, uh, or did they have a chance... They didn't mention anything about sending a, an emergency broadcast, did they? And they didn't nope. mention anything about um, about anything being jammed. Nope. You know, their communications being jammed. And quite frankly, this Tassadi stuff, those guys don't really look very sophisticated, um, <laughs> that they would have some kind of uh, subspace communication jammers anyway. So maybe they didn't say it, but maybe Roe was able to get off an emergency message at some point that during the attack.
0: Right.
1: I know I would have. You would try uh, it, right? If I, if I had the chance, yeah. <laughs> Especially if you knew you were go, you were going to be heading down uh, trying to do an emergency landing. Anyway. Right. Now
0: the only the only part I didn't like about the the Roe story here was. Yeah that they were spoon-feeding you the plotline of Beauty and the Beast. By naming it the Bajoran and the Beast, by having the... I mean, that would have probably been okay. But then to have the host actually tell her the story of Beauty and the Beast, and I was just like... Oh. And and there's not really a good parallel anyways. Yeah, he's hooded and he's, he's a host, but, you know the Beauty and the Beast story she was a prisoner he, Rose not a prisoner so I thought that was I don't know kind of heavy handed a little bit is that the right term
1: yeah I guess you can call it that it's beating you over the head with the uh, the story which I think most people reading the book know enough about the story because quite frankly you just said more than I knew about the story she was a prisoner I didn't know that um, right my kids are all a bit older and uh, and back when when that was popular, it's like I don't think I ever saw the darn movie. You know, that 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 the very Disney. popular Disney one, right? But you never. I
0: mean, it's an old story, so I mean, I think yeah. you heard it when you were a kid.
1: Well, I, I'm familiar with the story, but there's a lot of children's stories that I don't remember the details of. Right, and I do not remember. So then you appreciated was... this little recap of the story. Well, I, you know. <laughs> the, the 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 what I know of the story was probably more than sufficient <laughs> to go along with this story. Uh, I mean, yeah. Right. So beautiful woman, nice dress, hooded character. You expect him to be disfigured or something, but then oh no! Look, it's just a Cardassian. No, he is this because he, he has a was...
0: spoon on his face.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the thing—the thing semi-interesting here is um, it's because of the taint of him being a Cardassian and what he did to the Bajoran people that is what makes him ugly. Although right. I'll say all Cardassians are not exactly uh, you know prize-winning handsome guys, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's his it's his inner part that that makes him a beast. It's In his, his eyes. history, right? Right.
0: Yeah. All right, so all right. Well, I I take back what I was complaining about. You've you've turned me, Ken. I'm glad they put it in there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but they could have left it out, and it would be fine. Exactly. <laughs> I, could, I know enough about the story, and I think most anybody that would read this would. Especially
0: whatever. at the time, I mean, uh, Beauty and the Beast was just nominated for Best Picture and all that other stuff. So I mean, it was it was in the limelight for a couple of years.
1: Right. Anyway, and, and that's interesting that you brought that up because I didn't even think about that connection when I was reading this. No. No. Well, I wasn't even thinking about the Disney. I mean, I was thinking about the Disney movie because that's cuz that's the picture that goes in your mind now because that was so popular.
0: Right. Rather
1: than earlier depictions, rather than that TV series
0: uh with Ron
1: Perlman, with yeah, Ron Perlman and the uh Terminator Sarah Connor, yeah. <laughs> with Sarah Connor exactly right exactly Sarah Connor and, and and the original Sarah Connor <laughs> the original Sarah Connor yeah that's right
0: and uh what was the name of the the uh She's On's uh Viceroy and Nemesis
1: that was also played by Ron Perlman oh I don't remember I don't remember but, but yeah well, Ron Linda Hamilton know, if... that was that was Sarah Connor oh that was Sarah, Sarah Connor there you go but I
0: don't remember. Uh, I don't remember what Ron Perlman's name was in Star Trek.
1: Oh, uh, neither do I. but I mean, Ron Perlman has been so in so many things. Yes, he, he's he, a great actor. He's a very good actor, and a lot of times he ends up getting put in a lot of makeup, like Hellboy, and Beauty and the Beast, and there's and Shazan's Sh- Viceroy uh, or whatever. Right. Yeah, he ends up getting in a lot of makeup.
0: And even when he's not in makeup, he has a very unique face, so he he always looks like he's wearing makeup.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you went there. I wasn't going to go there, but you went there. I'm just saying he has a very unique facial structure. Uh yes, yes. Yep. You know, I, when
0: I first saw him, he was in a movie called Dark City, which was a uh oh. which was a French movie and and yeah. And there he was speaking French and I just Thought he was French You know And then come to find out he He's not He learned French for that part And I'm like Sure That's that. You know You hate to look at him And then think that Oh he's just uh, You know He plays the big guy You know The big the big monster type guy And then come to find out He's a very well versed actor
1: Oh yeah. yeah He's a good actor It's just that a lot of times He does tend to be typecast Right So those are the only opportunities he gets He of seems course, to like it though I mean,
0: he, I, he comes across as the guy that is enjoying what he does, and he's yeah. good at
1: it. Yeah, um, I, I've never seen the show, but uh, Sons of Anarchy, he mm. he he plays a biker leader, um, so he's not a he's not a monster or or heavy makeup anyway <laughs> per se. But right. uh, you know, he I have the impression he's a pretty. Uh, Bad dude In this uh, In that TV show
0: Right I did watch the first episode Of that just cause he was in it and, and I thought it was pretty good But
1: I didn't watch any more of it Yeah Well you gotta pick your uh, Where you spend your precious time Exactly
0: Alright so uh, Back to this issue Cause we mm-hmm. Off in the weeds Yes we are I, I didn't like that Ro changed her clothes I thought that was That was a little much
1: Well she did it pretty easily But Her clothes were pretty tattered From the crash But Burden.
0: Her knee is blown out, and her elbow. That doesn't seem all that bad, and I just can't imagine a Starfleet officer waking up. Okay, my I got two little holes in my shirt, my my clothes. Oh well, here's a dress. I'll just put it on. Just seem weird.
1: A little weird, but she couldn't be beauty without the dress. <laughs> exactly. <Come on. laughs> yeah. She had to get the dress on. Exactly.
0: So, anyways, uh, I thought it was. Great issue. I liked the uh, I liked her story. Still kind of confused as far as the uh, Riker story, as far as what the balls are doing to him. Um, but if anything, uh, but I, I liked how the Rose story was, you know, kind of set up and wrapped up all in the same issue.
1: Right. Anything else? I, yeah, I, I'm kind, uh, uh, for, As far as my rankings are concerned, I think the Rose storyline was uh, in the middle of the pack.
0: So which is your first?
1: Well, so far, it's the Riker story.
0: Oh, you're you're enjoying the Riker story better,
1: more? Mm, yes.
0: Mm. All right.
1: Mm, but they're really not that big of a delta between the two. Right. But um, let's continue on and see what we think of the third story when we get to it. All right. Let's do... Okay. So I will be doing um, issue number 69... It's titled, Dreams Die. March 1995 is the published date. Writer is Michael Jan Friedman, same penciler, Daryl Skelton, Rick taylor colors. letterer, Bob Panaha, Margaret Clark, editor, same people, basically. The cover shows a burly Riker in a third-season TNG uniform, holding an orb in one hand and the tunic of another Starfleet member who was on the ground in his other. It looks like Riker knocked him down violently and is pulling him up by his tunic perhaps to knock him down again. More semi-clear orbs with mechanisms inside are floating in the air around him. The text at the bottom of the cover reads Friends and other strangers. And then there were four. Riker and his three remaining companions are looking over the edge of a steep ravine Flashlights are playing over Randy Green's dead body at the bottom. Riker and Orzon climb down the walls to the bottom. Riker takes Randy's sacred orb, while the mighty Orzon takes Randy's body back up. At the top, Orzon puts a security officer hat and asks Brian about the argument he and Randy had last night over an incident with a woman that happened years ago. Brian angrily says they had their arguments, but he would never physically hurt Randy they were friends though the group also discusses the possibility that randy may have accidentally fallen to his death Riker changes the discussion he suggests they put randy's body someplace the animals can't get to it and then they need to be on their way meanwhile on the enterprise roe has returned and is being checked out by dr crusher and sickbay the doctor diagnoses her with cuts and bruises but nothing more Confirming that row as well, Picard asks Beverly if she is ready for her medical conference that they will be dropping her off on soon. She says yes, and Picard points out that it will be a much-needed break for her. She has been under quite a lot of stress lately. He walks her to the transporter room, and she beams down for her two-day stay. Meanwhile, Riker and his friends have finally made it to the monastery. As they cross a stone bridge over another gorge... They recount how the war went. Bottom line, the Altarian rebels won, and the monks were slaughtered. They carefully cross a minefield between the bridge and the entrance to the monastery. They enter the impressive-looking stone walls that surround the monastery. The place looks more like a fortified castle than a place of worship and quiet contemplation. They enter the main building and walk up to the altar. They begin to remove the sacred orbs from their pockets. At the medical conference, Dr. Kate Pulaski welcomes Beverly and introduces herself. Though they were both senior medical officers on the Enterprise-D at different times, they never actually met before. More conference attendees are met. Some are complaining about the food. Others are happy that dolenium could be pumped into the conference room's air system. Back on the Enterprise, Geordi is presenting Data with his repaired emotion chip. It was damaged when in lore, but now it is in good working order. Data says he does not want to use it for fear of overloading his neural net and wiping out the development progress he has made so far. Data thanks Geordi for the gift, but he is unlikely to use it, at least not for the immediate future. At the altar, Orzon is the first to reach in and pull out his orb to put it in place. When he does so, Riker attacks him, before he can do it, and knocks him to the ground. Riker picks up Orzon's orb and a phaser that dropped out of Orzon's uh, clothes. He accuses Orzon of killing Randy. Orzon admits to killing him, but he asks how Riker could possibly know. Riker explains that at the campfire, Brian made a point of showing Will his orb and commenting how it's very close to the same shade of blue as Riker's orb. At the bottom of the ravine next to Randy's body, the orb next to Randy was not blue. It was red. Riker knew it could not be Randy's, but how could a different one be next to Randy's body? Unless, of course, it was accidentally swapped with the killers during the murder. When Orzon exposed his orb, Riker knew it was Randy's, therefore Orzon was the killer. Orzon explains that he did it for his family. He had to obtain a large sum of money. He found out from a Ferengi trader that the orbs not only contained cultural records, but also a map to the monks' vast hidden treasures. Orzon planned on killing them all and taking the orbs. When united, he would find the map and get the treasure. He had to kill them all so that he would have the map all to himself. He did not like what he had planned to do, but it was either them or his family. Depressed, Orzon said the Ferengi story was probably just a rumor, and all the orbs contain is probably religious texts. Riker says, says, Riker says there's just one way to find out, so they put all the orbs in their resting places on the altar. At first, nothing happened. But, as, but soon enough, what seems like an earthquake begins, and the room starts to shake apart. Cut to the medical conference, where the main doors blast open, and a group of armed men enter. Most of them are huge alien thugs. One of them is carrying a Starfleet man over his shoulder as they enter the room. The leader looks like a human... ...and is male, with long brown hair and a silver mask covering part of his face. This mask makes him look like a metallic version of the Phantom of the Opera. The leader shoots several meeting attendees to show his violent intentions. He tells them his name is Stephen Granthos, and 15 years ago he was one of them, a gifted Federation researcher, but a horrific and unfortunate accident disfigured him in both body and soul. He says his life was stolen from him and before everyone in this room dies they will all taste the anguish he has been forced to live with. The madman points out a heavy doctor with gray gray hair and a beard. A right jolly old elf. Yes, he looks like Santa minus the red outfit. The madman says Santa was his research assistant who stole his work. A vaccine for rumelic fever that he developed on thorza but santa stole and peddled as his own on Delacus four he stole it by setting a bomb in granthos's lab where he was significantly disfigured and left for dead santa claims total ignorance granthos the madman produces a plasma bomb that he makes very clear he will set off and kill them all (laughs) Dr. Pulaski and Beverly call him on his threats saying he and his Thorsoon henchmen will be killed too Grantho says they will die with him in an honorable death and he does not care what happens to him since his life ended with the explosion 15 years ago Beverly and Dr. Pulaski say to each other That this guy is a madman And they had better figure out something to do Or they will die To be continued
0: So there was no singing though For the Phantom this time Not this time No, but we can only
1: hope in the next issue
0: Right So we had the Phantom this issue And Beauty and the Beast last issue
1: Yes What can we have next issue I don't know, because this is bam, bam, bam. I'll tell you. So we've got a uh, a diehard esque kind of uh, hostage situation going on with a madman in control, uh, who looks like the Phantom of the Opera uh, and has a similar background. Uh, vengeance, disfigured, blames other people. Blah blah blah. And right. uh, and and I think he's a little over the top. <laughs> he's a little right. over the top bad guy.
0: <laughs> yes, a- and not to spoil anything, um, there is another theme next issue.
1: Oh my God, a fourth one!
0: Right,
1: we have a fourth story. Oh my God!
0: Well, a- a- another uh, popular, you know, like like the Beauty and the Beast story was kind of interwoven, okay. right? Phantom is interwoven here. Yeah, yeah. There's another popular storyline that's kind of weaved into the Riker story next week. Oh, boy. And it might have something to do with the upcoming movie Pacific Rim. I'm just saying. Oh, my God.
1: Really? (laughs) Mechanical, uh, giant mechanical robots controlled by people fighting Godzilla? Really? Part of that. (laughs) Well, you've got to come back next episode.
0: take out the people and the Godzilla part.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay.
0: Anyways, I don't know why why they're doing this for the four-parter um, introducing these these other things but, meh, it works.
1: Yeah.
0: If you got people to buy them, buy the issues.
1: Well, that, that and entertaining. As long as people are entertained, that's the important thing. Oh, and they want to make money too but still. People want to get uh, good things for their money. So uh, yeah, so it's pretty throw packed. We got a lot of stuff going on here. And um, so, we'll what do you think that about
0: the the resolution or what may be the resolution of the Coltrane, train? Or not the Coltrane, but the Ryger storyline that Orzon was the the killer.
1: Well, uh, I, I do like mysteries, murder mysteries. And um, I kind of like how this one played out and the fact that Orzon did it for his family planned to cold-bloodedly kill all four of them. Um, I don't like Orzon. But no. I have the feeling that one way the story could go and by the way I have not read the the fourth issue so I really don't know exactly but now it almost sounds like gee, Orzon, we're going to help you. We're going to try to help you find that treasure. Um, well, hopefully not. That's it's one like, way it could it go. kill somebody. I agree. I agree. But Orzon's their buddy, too. But the thing is, Orzon's a murderer, and he was going to kill all of them. So, I don't know. Right. I'm just saying that's, that's just one way it could go. Not that I necessarily agree with it. I'm just saying I just get the feeling. And I could be totally wrong. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. I was not expecting uh, earthquake time.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah, that so. was
1: like uh what? What? You put the f- you put the five orbs in and you get an earthquake? Wow. That's the candy prize at the bottom of the cracker jacks, huh? Mm, mm. I don't know. It might be a little
0: more than an earthquake.
1: Oh my god, you're not saying that's when the big giant things come in. That's not the footfalls of a huge something. Mm. Hmm. Wait wow. to
0: see, my friend. Didn't Wait. see that one coming. Just don't look at the cover of the next issue because it will okay. spoil
1: it. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. Okay. Uh let's see. So uh So are you saying
0: that the Doctor Conference is the storyline you like best out of the three? Least. Oh,
1: least. Least. I think I think it's too too derivative of Family Opera. I think I think the character is too over the top and uh, and I must say some of the drawings of him especially there's, there's one particular close up of him as he's ranting that I thought oh that's kind of cool I, I kind of like that that particular drawing but really in the end <clears throat> it's just a hard to believe stereotype you know threat Right. I just, I, I, I'm not that crazy about it but eh, we'll see what happens yeah, I just wish he had a mustache that he could be
0: twirling during some of those scenes.
1: <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, a lot of the mustache would be covered with the with the face mask. But right. Yes, and, and uh, well, what's the deal? I mean, he's he's accusing this guy that looks like Santa Claus, and, and mm-hmm. if his name, if that particular doctor's name was mentioned, I missed it. So that's why I kept on calling him Santa. Because that's what he looks like. He looks like Santa. Uh, but this guy, either he's lying, or he really isn't Granthos' research assistant. In which case, Granthos is way off the rails. Right. Um, because Santa's going, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I've never seen you before. So, it's like... <laughs> uh, anyway. All, all my elves, I mean, <laughs> workers, are about this tall. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I employ elves. Okay, pal. I'm not an elf. <sighs> I'm not anybody's assistant. I'm Santa. Anyways,
0: yeah, I, I I didn't get the Santa thing until you mentioned it in the synopsis. And and yes, he does look like that a little bit.
1: Yeah, he just luckily he's not in a red outfit. But I,
0: come on, that could be said for anybody. I mean, anybody who has a white beard and and maybe a little overweight would look like Santa. (laughs) You can't stereotype all of them.
1: Yeah, we we might have even worked with guys that looked a little like Santa in the past.
0: Sure, everybody has. (laughs) And I'm sure they don't appreciate being called Santa. (laughs) Uh,
1: Inside joke, sorry, everybody. All two of you. Okay, so... uh,
0: So... uh, Oh, go ahead. I was, I was going to say something on page twenty one since we were Help. there with the Help. the Santa and stuff. Um, when me. when the uh, the Phantom zaps the second Doctor, yeah, on and, on page twenty one, top yeah. left hand panel. It looks like he might have zapped him on like disintegrate because he looks like he might be invisible because you can kind of see through him. But then in the right. next panel, he's laying on the ground, so obviously he didn't get disintegrated, but. I did like that shot of the...
1: Yeah. The Indiana lying guy. Getting, right. Yeah, when the first human blonde guy gets zapped first, it's like, it isn't the same effect. Visually, is not the same effect. You can believe that the Phantom just stunned him. Right. Uh, but I agree with you, when he shoots the second guy, it looks like... I agree with you. It looks like he's disintegrating him. Right.
0: Which was a pretty cool effect or pretty cool
1: drawing yeah I I think it looks really cool the only thing is again they they reel it back in a little later like you mentioned by him saying you keep testing me and I'll turn my weapon off of uh, non-destructive mode or like whatever right so everything makes it look like this guy's a bad dude and he just killed somebody nastily Like with a disruptor or something. And Mm -hmm. then they reel it back in saying, Oh, uh, yeah, I've actually only been stunning people so far. It's kind of like when the Admiral was clearly shot and killed as all the the vapor was rising out of his dead corpse. Oh, last issues. Exactly. And then, oh, next issue. Oh, he was just stunned. It's like, oh, oh, Mm -hmm. really? Okay. So you're going to give us the visceral thrill of a murder... And then you're going to come back uh, a few panels later saying, Oh, not really dead.
0: Kind of like I, when you used to watch G.I. Joe, the cartoon, as a kid. You would see the the dogfight of the ships. One explodes in this glorious plume of fire. And then you see a little parachute pop open when there's yeah. absolutely no way that pilot could have gotten out. But
1: right. But that's a kid's show. So. Yeah,
0: exactly. So that, that, that reminded yeah. me of. This reminded me of that. Where yeah, we're gonna show the destruction, but eh, he's okay,
1: right? And maybe that's just so they don't get in trouble with censors uh, or rating organizations or something. Right. I don't know, but um, it's kind of weak.
0: Yep. And what else is weak? Pulaski and Crusher never meeting until this story. Yeah, I don't buy that at all.
1: Yeah, you would think they would have bumped into each other at some point. You would think that when the one left, you know, the other wouldn't have been like like days apart with the Enterprise not having a uh, a doctor on board or or like a head doctor anyway. I mean, there's multiple doctors on board, but right. Yeah, you you think they would have at a conference or something?
0: Well, Uh, and I mean, like like they say in this issue, Crusher recommended Pulaski to take over. Right. For season two. Yeah. While she went to have a baby. I mean, run Starfleet Medical.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. So,
0: so, yeah. So, I, I would think that anybody in that level of position, when you hand over, you know, chief medical duties to another person, there would be some sort of transition period where you at least show them where this is where I keep the hypos. Yeah, Uh, something.
1: (laughs) A little knowledge transfer, something going on, right? Right. Yeah.
0: But anyways, I I thought that was unneeded filler in this issue, and also unneeded, I thought, was that one woman walking around, I'm so hungry, they don't have anything I can eat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, and and that's that's a good reason why not to even mention it. Because I thought that was boring and useless. Although, I definitely think the fact that extra gas for that one alien being pumped in the atmosphere, I think that's going to come into it somehow.
0: Right. Yeah, so maybe the Phantom can't process that gas like everybody
1: else can. Or there's some way they can ignite it or something. I don't know. Right. But something where that's going to come in. Because why else would they mention that detail? So at the same time where the one alien is kind of whining about food that they can't eat there's another one that's saying oh well they were able to get me special gas pumped into the room ha 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 but he still he still looked like he was angry anyway
0: yeah, whatever he was kind of a jerk
1: he was kind of a jerk too but I mean the tone and and his his body language was saying I'm unhappy about things but then he's basically saying they accommodated my wacko needs so I don't
0: know right now, uh, Santa's name is. Oh no, that's not. Uh, th- the only thing I can think of about the girl and mm-hmm. the girl that can't eat. Yeah. Uh, when when Santa shows up, he says something. Or here's a, here's an exact line. He says, "Actually, I did." Greetings, Doctor, and to you as well, ladies. And then Crusher notices that the the hungry woman gets upset, and she asks, "What's wrong?" And he says that she or she says that there was a small cultural difference that she'll have to overlook. So, I'm wondering if maybe she's not a lady, and that's that's what uh, offended her when Santa said that. But she definitely looks like a woman.
1: Yeah, she does. Oh, is that? Oh, I didn't get that at all. I thought I thought she was a woman. Oh, I thought so
0: too. I mean, she's she looks like one.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of skipped over and that she part. She
0: lines like one.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh, there goes whatever few females listen.
0: No, you're gonna cut that part out. <laughs> that was a total joke. Yeah, okay. No, I um that's the only reason why I think they're trying to make you know, draw attention to her so that we'll remember her next month when something right. something she does is gonna play in. Right. Cool. Okay. So we'll remember next month. Oh, she was the hungry girl.
1: Yes, and that was important because of this really unlikely thing.
0: Alright. And the gas is important because Mister Grouchy Pats had it specially
1: pumped in. Exactly, and somehow yeah. that's going to let him do something.
0: That's the, that's the only thing I can think of. They're 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 setting up anchors in our memories so that we'll remember next month when we read the next issue.
1: I I certainly hope so because otherwise it was unnecessary. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I was wondering what the devil was going on on page uh, three when Orzon practically accuses uh, Brian of Randy's death, there's a... In that panel, th- Ra- Brian is, like, like shaking his hands in the air and, like, going nuts. Did you notice that yeah, in that panel? So. Well, I... But... It's kind of ridiculous, because... yeah, Yes, he, he has some upsetness look on his face, but then... So, so he's got his hand out, and he's saying, "Damn it, he was my friend." And then the next panel shows it's it's further away and from above, and it shows Riker and it shows uh, the, the 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 lady engineer talking, and then it shows Brian like turned away. From them, and his hands are in the air, and he's he's kind of doubled over a little bit. and It's like he's going, "Oh, I'm so angry!" <laughs> you know, it's like ridiculous. And then, and then, and then the next panel, they show him again, and he's he's right next to the lady engineer. Right. Um, and I guess he got over his tantrum. Yeah, he I looks just... like a, a three-year-old throwing a tantrum. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I th- I just thought it was like. When I saw that, I was like, what is he doing? uh, He's holding his
0: breath until his friend comes back to life. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll do it, too.
1: Yeah, pretty funny. I just thought a little odd.
0: All right. Uh, The last thing is is that I like the little tie-in to Generations with kind of the retconning on how the data chip from Descent Part 1 and 2, the Mm -hmm. Next Generation episode, and Generations, how it... Evolved from a little circular um, chip to a little square chip, that, <laughs> and that uh, Jordy fixes it. I, th- I thought that was kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was rather unnecessary to this story, but it's like okay, you're you're helping do the setup for uh, generations, right?
0: Which had already come out by this point, so yeah, maybe unnecessary, but I still like yeah. it.
1: right. Ooh. Cool. Well, um, and that's my last comment for uh, for this issue. All right. You got other ones?
0: Uh, nope, that was my last one, too. Cool. So normally for Expanded Universe, we do Deep Space Nine, or I'm sorry, Next Generation episodes, but Next Generation is over, so uh, we should be doing Voyager episodes, but I really don't have time to do it. So mm-hmm. should we just skip it? Let's skip it.
1: Next time. Alright. Don't forget that we skipped it. Okay, I won't.
0: Alright, well that finishes the episode. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, we'll be in Deep Space Nine territory where we'll do issues 19, 20, and 21. Cool. By Malibu Comics. And then we're going to do a uh, the, issue, the episode after that. We'll be doing a mini-series called Shadow Heart. For a couple of episodes, so we're not gonna get back to Riker and his all tier three storyline until episode one thirty five so hold on to that memory of of those uh those that storyline
1: yeah, and we're gonna obviously obviously have to do a uh a catch up on it when we do that episode right just to remind folks right but Quick little reminder
0: just to throw it out there, giant robot. <laughs>
1: Well, now you got me wanting to know what's happening. Now it sounds much more intriguing than what I was expecting. All
0: right. So you just thought it was a little earthquake.
1: That's what I thought.
0: (laughs) All right, then. So we'll be back next week, and hopefully everybody has a
1: good time listening, and we'll talk to you later. Later, everybody. See you next time on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. second name book review see you next time on Star Trek comic book review let's get the hell out of here